Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio!
KIRP Radio! Good evening. You are listening to the KIRP Radio Show. Guest host Rocco P. And this is not the last Friday of the month, but I am on the air. Thank you for listening. You, uh, you may, uh, you may have noticed uh, some more than minor changes have occurred uh, throughout the United States of America over the last week. Uh, I would very much like to discuss those events, and I am, but not tonight. Uh, tune back in this uh, this Sunday night. This uh, Sunday night, that will be the twenty. Uh, the 22nd at 8 p.m., not 9, 8 p.m. That was originally Pudgy's time, Sunday night at 8 p.m. And I uh, I fully anticipate discussing the unfolding coronavirus COVID crisis. Tonight, uh, tonight we're talking about uh, election fraud, really, voter fraud, vote fraud. Uh, there's some differences, but uh, our elections... Can elections be rigged? Of course, the answer is yes. Does that happen in the United States of America? The answer is yes. Yeah. There's a variety of ways that could happen. Uh, there's there's not just one way. There's a variety of ways that could happen. Uh, there's a there's a quote by former Soviet Union dictator Joseph Stalin, and it's somewhat of a uh, it's an apocryphal quote, so it's attributed. To Stalin, he he may not have really said it, but it really captures the essence of uh, some truth. So I give that qualification before I read this quote by Stalin, Joseph Stalin. It is enough that the people know there was an election. The people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide everything. And the last two lines is pretty much what gets circulated uh, as Stalin, again, this, this apocryphal quote, it normally comes out like this, uh, those, those who vote do not count, all that, all that counts is those who count the vote, <laughs> and this, this, uh, this version of it, the people who vote decide nothing, the people who count the, vote, count the votes decide everything. There's more than one way uh, that could be done. I have a guest host coming on uh, later in the show that has uh, has done a fair amount of research in this area, a fair amount of research. Uh, to lay the groundwork, I, uh, I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to read from an article and then I'll play, part, play a video. In 2006, a documentary, Hacking Democracy, exposed Diebold. Diebold is a company that uh, no longer exists, but the, the Diebold machines are still being used. Like, for example, in North Carolina, where I, re- where I live, they still use Diebold mas- machines. So I'll go in. There's different types of machines. I'll go in, and I'll, you know, I'll fill out my paper ballot, and I'll put it into a machine that counts it, and the machine that counts it is a Diebold machine. Okay. So I'll start with this quote again. In 2006, a documentary, Hacking Democracy, exposed Diebold and their role in rigging elections with their electronic voting machines. Clinton Eugene Clint Curtis is an American attorney, computer programmer, and ex-employee of NASA and ExxonMobil, who, has, who also exposed election hacking. He is notable chiefly for making a series of whistleblower allegations about his former employer, and about Republican Congressman Tom Feeney, including an allegation that in 2000, Feeney and Yang Enterprises requested Curtis's assistance in a scheme to steal votes by inserting fraudulent code into touchscreen voting systems. Curtis is seen in this video testifying oath, testifying under oath in front of the U.S. House Judiciary members, members in Ohio. He tells the members how he was hired by Congressman Tom Feeney in 2000 to build a prototype software package that would secretly rig an election to sway the result 5149 to a specified side. Okay. Uh, that's the quote, and let me cue up the video, and we shall listen. Hey, 
Curtis, would you please state your full name for the record? My name is Clinton Eugene Curtis. And where do you reside? Tallahassee, Florida. And what is your profession? I'm a computer programmer. Would you please speak into the microphone so the audience can hear your testimony? I'm a computer programmer. Mr. Curtis, are there programs that can be used to secretly fix elections? Yes. How do you know that to be the case? Because in October of 2000, I wrote a prototype for President Congressman Tom Feeney at the company I work for in Oviedo, Florida, that did just that. And when you say just did just that, it would rig an election? It would flip the vote 51-49 to whoever you wanted it to go to and whichever race you wanted to win. And would that program that you designed be something that elections officials that might be on county boards of elections could detect? They'd never see it. Mr. Would you answer that question once again? They would never see it. So how would such a, such a program, a secret program that uh, fixes the election, how could it be detected? You would have to view it either in the source code or you'd have to have a receipt and then count the hard paper against the actual vote total. Other than that, you won't see it. All right, Mr. Curtis, uh, if you had been asked, you or others with your professional expertise had been asked to design a protective program to, that would protect the Ohio elections from against, against such software to fix the election, could you have done so? If we'd been asked to make a program that could fix the election? Sure, anybody can do it. No, could, could you have designed a program or to, a procedure or a protocol that would have protected Ohio against this kind of rigging? No, you have to look at the source code. You have to get probably programmers from both or all parties to look at the source code and determine if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there. I mean, it's a simple program. You're adding one to a person's total. It's 100 lines of code tops. All right. If, uh, are you aware of whether there was any protective action in Ohio against this kind of boat rigging through software? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. You were, you were not asked to assist in the development of any protective system, is that correct? No, I was not. In Europe, have you uh, reviewed at all the election results in Ohio? No, I haven't. Okay. Given the availability of such uh, vote rigging software and the testimony that has been given under oath of substantial statistical anomalies and gross dis dis differences between exit polling data and the actual tabulated results, do you have an opinion whether or not Ohio election, the Ohio election, presidential election, was hacked? Yes, I would say it was. I mean, if, you're, if you have exit polling data that is significantly off from the vote, then it's probably hacked. And your testimony is under oath? Yes, sir. And the testimony you've given is true? Yes, sir. Thank you. Have the same question back to the podium. Who did you say you were asked to prepare? I was asked by Tom Feeney. He's now a congressman. At that time, he was uh, Speaker of the House of Florida, Yang Enterprises, which was the company I worked for, lobbyist, and their corporate attorney. Who wore a lot of hats. And at the time, he was the Speaker of the House of Florida. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, thank you. Congressman, he's saying he was the, the lobbyist for the voting machine company at the same time he was Speaker of the House? I don't know what the voting machine company is. He was a lobbyist for Yang Enterprises. We had NASA contracts. And, and Yang Enterprises did what? Computers? Computers. Okay, and he was your lobbyist. Your company's lobbyist. Lobbyist for that company, yes. And he asked you to design a, to see, to design a code to rig an election? Yes. While he was Speaker of the Florida House? Yes. This was during or previous to the 2000 election? Yes, October and December. And did he ever express why he wanted a code to make an election? No, I immediately assumed that they were trying to keep you guys from cheating. So, <laughs> so I wrote up the documentation of what you would look for in the source code, how you would make sure that you didn't get, you know, taken back up, make sure that all voting machines had receipts because that way you could back count the ones that looked you know, funny. And I handed it in the paper receipt. You mean a paper trail? Yeah, paper trail. 
And I handed that in to Mrs. Yang and said, here's your report, here's your program. And she said, you don't understand, we need to hide the fraud in the source in the source code. Hide the fraud, not reveal it. Not reveal the fraud because it's needed to, to control the vote in South Florida, is what she said. Oh, That's what she said. Oh, your knowledge, your knowledge, was this used? I have no idea. I, I was ready to leave. <laughs> and I retired and left the company. Your testimony a moment ago, I think. You could see, uh, you could see that, that different yeah, that video is very popular different places online. You could look for Programmer Under Oath Admits Computers Rig Elections on YouTube. Programmer Under Oath Admits Computers Rig Elections. And uh, again, that was Clinton Eugene Clint Curtis, American attorney, computer programmer, and ex-employee of NASA and ExxonMobil, admitting under oath he designed code would flip an election, 51 to 49. And the only way you could know that was by looking at the source code. There's a variety of ways that this could be done. I'm going to bring on someone who's done a lot of research, uh, Dave Getz. Uh, he's going to talk about things he's found out in, uh, in North Carolina. Very, very interesting, to say the least. Hey, Dave, are you there? I'm here. Dave, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. I, yes, I can. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Why don't you just give a little background as far as how long you've been involved in politics, and then uh, then we can go into your recently recent discoveries. Well, I got involved in politics. Um, of course, most of my life I was in uniform on active duty, so uh, politics was forbidden. And after I retired in 1995, I returned to civilian life and uh, – living day-to-day as normal and not really paying much attention. But about 2010, with the um, rise of the Tea Party, that's when I really got involved in grassroots politics. And uh, we worked with groups all over the state of North Carolina. My wife and I were traveling the state because we had sound gear. We had microphones, speakers, we had video cameras, and we thought we could help publicize what these local groups were doing because they really didn't have a budget to go hire anybody. And what they were doing was so important and so worthwhile, we just felt we needed to help publicize their efforts as broadly as possible. Uh, And, of course, that's how I met Pudgy and got connected to the KRP radio team. And uh, he's been great for getting the message out for people that uh, really whose voices would otherwise remain silent. Yeah, that was that was an exciting time. I, re- I remember those Tea Party rallies. I remember that. Yes. Well, then, as fate would have it, in 2016, um, a friend called me, and she knew I had a background in law enforcement. I'm a retired major from the Army Military Police. I was trained in as investigator during my enlisted years, went on to get my commission, and I, I worked with um, – government contracts, I worked with automated data systems, uh, relational databases and whatnot at the Pentagon for a couple of years. And she had discovered back then they were talking about people having more voters on the rolls in certain counties than they had people of that age actually living there, according to the census. And so I started mm-hmm. doing some digging. We were looking at Durham County, and eventually I found six counties that had more people on the rolls. And then I started looking at the actual election result numbers, and things weren't adding up. And that was in, I would say, January, February of 2017, just following the 2016 general election. Just to give you an idea, some of the earliest things I found, there were 38 candidates on the ballot statewide in November of 2016. Now, there are two different data products. You've got the publicly... um, listed of the races, the candidates, and their vote total, but then you have the data files that show who voted absentee, who voted a provisional ballot, et cetera, and then how those numbers came up. And of those 38 candidates, Rocco, only two had the same number of votes accounted for in the data files as was being publicly shown as their official total of votes. Yeah. I read uh, I read I read your first article 
we'll we'll get right. them. Let's back up. I, I know you know the details. I want to hear too. I want to, I want to hear more. Let Let's back up a moment. Could you explain the okay. difference between voter fraud and election fraud? Okay. Let Let, let me go one step further back and let okay. people know there are two independent data streams involved in the election process. One okay. is the poll book data, the, the laptop that they sign you in on at the polls, and that contains your personal information and your voting history. Then there's the digital stream of numbers that come out of those ballot tabulation machines, like the Dibo machines you were talking about. Okay. The reason the two data streams have to be separate is so that nobody can digitally connect your records and find out who you actually voted for. That's to protect our Makes privacy. Sense. It does, okay. but that's what opens the loopholes that I believe are being manipulated. And then to, to get back to your, to your question then, um, those two data streams result in two different data pools. One is the voter history data, and the other is the actual vote count. And those are the two parts that I am finding rarely, if ever, match up in North Carolina. That's fascinating. Now, I know there's other people that have been on the scene in North Carolina. I won't mention any other names, but have you, I know, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get to your, you know, I know you've discussed this with the executive director of state board elections. We'll get to that too. And I know you've been right. to North Carolina, North Carolina General Assembly, and that's awesome. Before you did, before you took those measures, which were, you know, yeah, I was outstanding that you did that uh, to shine light on this problem. Had, had you talked to anybody else in state about this? Because I know there's other people that are involved in this area in North Carolina. Well, the way that all unfolded, um, actually, in March of 2017, when I was about 90 days into this, I started making the rounds throughout North Carolina visiting the local Tea Party groups and giving a PowerPoint presentation on what I was finding. And the okay. very first I did in Greenville was for the Eastern North Carolina Tea Party, and it was attended by several members of the General Assembly as well. And one of the senators approached me afterwards and said, would you come to my office in Raleigh and meet with me next week? And I said, certainly. And I went and met with him, started what has now been a three-year, almost four-year-long program of interfacing with various members of the General Assembly, both the House and the Senate, explaining to them what all I am finding and what it could potentially mean. Now, when you, when you got your hands on this data, did, did, is this still all publicly available? Could anyone that took the time... Could they still obtain the same data you, you saw or not, or if the, has things changed? Um, I have to answer that with a yes and a no. Um, anybody okay. can go to the State Board of Elections um, to their webpage. It has a place on there that says Download Data. It's hard to find, though, because then you go to a page called ENRS, and if you don't know what ENRS is, you're lost. That stands for Election <laughs> Night Return Service. And that's where all the data files are for each election. Then when you click on that, you can click on the date of the election, and it opens up all the files that are available. The problem with that, Rocco, is that the only file you can access is the most recent version of that file. What I have done is download that file on a daily basis, and actually starting in 2019, three times a day because they update the files at 5 in the morning, 11 a.m., and at 5 p.m. And it's downloading those files that allows me to merge them together later and track the changes in the data taking place from one version of the report to the next. And I start now, at the beginning of early voting, and I keep doing that until well after the election is over because I have found data changing six, eight weeks after the election date. Long well, why should it only change that late? What's the only reason they give you that it should change that late? Would that be for for absentee ballots or provisional? What was the reason? I can't get an answer. They have stopped uh, responding to emails, and and I think once we talk about my meeting with the state board, that'll become clear why they've done that. Yeah, that's uh. <clears throat> 
That's faith, amazing. That's amazing. Because I've asked that's him amazing. questions and they cannot answer. All right. Well, we we have we have a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, could you stay the rest of the hour? Oh yes, yes, I'm here for the All duration. Right. All right. What I'd like to do, Dave, I'd like to take take a break, and we come back. I'd like you to get into the detail of that meeting with the executive director, and I'm very curious, as someone who's also in the past I've been involved uh, with the General Assembly, I'm very curious to find out the response you've gotten as you've interacted with them. Uh, but exactly. let's take that break now. Let's take that break now, and we'll be right back. That's KRP. <laughs> well, not really. But uh, it's just just the format of file. Uh, you listen to the KRP radio show, Keep Real Pudgy Miller, guest uh, with the host tonight, uh, guest host uh, Rocco P, and special guest Dave Getz. KRP radio! K-I-R-P Radio! I am speaking with Dave Getz, who is has uncovered some pretty disturbing things about voting in North Carolina. So, Dave, you were going to discuss that meeting you had with the executive director of, who was that, the commission? Well, it's the direct, executive director of the Board of Elections reached out State to State Board of Right, after I published my hour-long documentary movie called Autopsy of an Election that's on my YouTube channel and asked me to come in for a meeting. And and, and many of your listeners uh, may well know 
they, they probably know me as Major Dave. That's what I'm called in, in the political circles. Um, okay. It's really not a reflection of my military rank at all. It's just kind of what got hung on me. That's just what people call me. Uh, so your listeners now may connect and be more familiar, those who have followed on Facebook, you know, what I'm doing. But I went into the meeting expecting to meet with her alone. This was Kim Strike, the former executive director. She's since been replaced. And when I get there, it's not just her, but she brings her five top deputies to the table. That's her director so, of elections. Her public was your impression, that, Dave, do you think she was trying to intimidate you? Well, quite possibly, um, but that's okay. true. She doesn't know anything about me. Um, okay. I, I mean, I, I've sat in briefings at the Pentagon where a three-star general sent a one-star general out to get him a cup of coffee. You know, there are a bunch of us majors and lieutenant colonels sitting around the wings that could have easily done it. Um, but that that kind of stuff would never work. But her director of investigations, her head IT guy, she even brought her legal counsel, her attorney, to the meeting. And we sat there. We started at 3 o'clock, and, and I thought we'd be done by 4 or 4.30. We didn't get out of there until 5.30. So I suggest to you, Rocco, that no head of a state agency brings that much horsepower to the table to meet with a private citizen if there's nothing to what they've got to say. What, what and, to, in, in, in your interaction in that meeting, since it took so long, did she just ask you questions or did they all ask you questions? What was what basically well, happened during turns. that meeting? Yeah, they took turns going around the table asking me questions. They had all watched the video at least once, in some cases more than once, because they went back to get the specific numbers uh, and the allegations that I raised. The video only addressed 2016. By then, I had addressed uh, or uncovered other things. So in the meeting, for example, and your listeners will probably understand what an absentee ballot is, a by-mail ballot or a provisional ballot. Sure. But I don't know if anybody's ever heard of an accumulated ballot. If you go look it. at the results, the results data file for the 2012 general election, thousands of votes were awarded to candidates in North Carolina on the basis of accumulated ballots. They have columns in these spreadsheets, how many votes they got on election day, how many they got at one stop during early voting, how many they got by mail, by provisional, and then there's a column called accumulated. It's never been appeared in any results file in any election before or since. 26 or 2012, and I asked them, what is an accumulated ballot? Not a one of them would admit they had ever even heard of it. And I said, well, there it is in the 2012 elections, and it sounds like we have a bunch of ballots. We don't know where they came from. We want to count them, so we'll just call them accumulated. Now, this is supposed to be a system certified by the Federal Elections Commission. tells me it's not supposed to change. If you can go in and create a ballot status like this and just arbitrarily award votes to candidates, to me that puts the whole system under scrutiny. Uh, what was the explanation? What was the explanation for what, 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 what did those votes, what were they? We, they said, we, we don't know, we'll look into it. And I've never heard and, a word back from them. I don't want. I, don't, I appreciate the narrative. I don't want to. I don't want to distract you. Just a quick question to jump ahead. Sure. When you told people in the general legislature about this, what happened? And then, then did they do anything? Uh, well, yes and no. I, I mean, I've had ongoing and regular conversations with a half a dozen in both the House and the Senate each, um, ongoing for the last three years. They will admit off the record, that what I have uncovered is so deep and so complex, they really can't wrap their heads around it. And, and I'm not saying that to say I'm smarter than they are. But when you consider how many various issues these legislators deal with at the same time in any given session of the legislature, you're lucky to get three to five minutes in one of them. And to try to cram three years worth of research into something they can absorb in that brief period of time is literally impossible. And so these these ongoing conversations have brought several of them along 
but there's still no stomach for it. It's always, well, it's the budget, or it's the veto override, or it's teacher pay raises. It's always something more important. Yeah, they're, they're, I know. They always, they always tell you, they'll always deliver in the future. Just give them more time. They'll get it done. Just give yeah. them more time. So well, you had, you had you know, this had, meeting. Go ahead. Uh-huh. You had this meeting in September 2017 with the executive right. director of five top deputies. And how long did she right. stay in the position after that meeting? I'm not understanding how long did I stay in the position? How, how, no, how, how, long, how long was she still in that position after the meeting? Um, I'd say another six months. She Her job was guaranteed by statute through May of 2018. So five, okay. three, eight months. She was there about eight more months. Okay, so, so regards, she was just going to change. They were going to change anyhow. It was going to be right. someone else anyway. Okay. And... Since then, you haven't met with a new person? No, I have not. I have not. Uh, Like I said, they stopped responding. Um, And and I will tell you why. Because people will say, well, don't you owe it to them to go back and and let them know what you continue to find out. I Mm. I guarantee you they follow my Facebook page very closely because I post (laughs) things there very openly. And I always post screenshots of the data so that there's no mistaking what the numbers are and where they come from. During that same meeting, Rocco, I pointed out to them that there were over 500 missing lines of vote totals from that results report for the 2016 election. Most of them were missing lines for what's called an overvote or an undervote. Now, some of the other, uh, an overvote is if you vote for more choices than you're allowed. I mean, if it's governor between two people and you vote for both of them, then neither vote counts. That's an overvote. An undervote is if you don't vote for enough choices or you'd leave it blank. And the reason those two lines are important is because that's how we ultimately reconcile the total number of votes counted with the total number of ballots cast. I gave them a listing of the 505 lines of missing over and undervote and another list of there were other lines missing, like two candidates would get votes from all the precincts and then from all the one-stop sites, but the other candidates wouldn't have any lines showing votes coming from the one-stop site. It's not like the totals were there showing they got no votes. Those lines just weren't in the report for that candidate. Now, when you're sorting a database like that, the only way that line could disappear is if somebody manually made it disappear or wrote the program, as your lead-in was saying, wrote the program in a way that automatically deleted it, and it was in several different counties. But these missing lines of vote totals, Rocco, appeared in races from U.S. president all the way down to county soil and water conservation supervisor in 38 of the 100 North Carolina counties. Now, that's not just some administrative glitch. And what I believe happened is they took those numbers of over and under votes, gave them to candidates of their choice, and then deleted those lines out of the report. If they'd been smart and zeroed them out, I would have never caught it. But because the lines weren't there when they should be, and, and that's one of the hardest parts of this thing, is not just seeing what's there. It's detecting something that's not there that should be. Well, if somebody internally at the State Board of Elections was manipulating and changing this data, there's no way to catch it unless, like I said, you know to look for what's not there. So how could those 500 lines of vote totals go missing, and yet we're supposed to believe these numbers add up? And to be honest with you, we have better data control on a $2 purchase on eBay or Amazon than we have on the vote totals coming out of the North Carolina Board of Elections. Yeah, it it just shouldn't be that complicated. I mean, when when you find this accumulated vote total, I mean, when they can't get an answer, I mean, that, that to me, that, that's catastrophic. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Well, here's, a, here's their solution. Their solution was to stop publicizing the number of over and under votes. And in the 13 elections we've held in North Carolina since 2016, you will not find the over and under votes reported in any election results since then. 
<laughs> so as you've got into this, Dave, yeah, that's 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 not good. As you've gotten into this, Dave, is there any law that 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 mandates they have to have full disclosure or not? Well, yes, it says they're supposed to report all the votes, and that's one of the issues I'm discussing with the legislature. But until they take action to force the state board to comply, they're going to continue to get away with it. Is the board, is, is that politically appointed? Yes, the governor appoints the board. Okay. So I, now we have three Democrats and two Republicans because the governor's party always holds the two majority. Majority, right. Right. But certainly from everything you're saying, this, doesn't, this does not appear like a partisan issue. This appears like bipartisan corruption. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, there, there are a number of audits and things that could be built into the system that would prevent and catch a lot of this, and I'm surprised it's not in there already. So I started doing some research into Diabold, Sequoia, Siemens, IBM, ES&S, all the companies that were originally invited to bid back in 2006 when we went from a purely paper process to an automated process. And what I discovered was that there was a provision in the contract that said if your system fails, we can sue not only your company, we can sue your CEO personally. Well, then everybody dropped out but ES&S. They then removed that provision from the solicitation and award the contract to ES&S. ES&S executes a sole subcontract with a company out of New Bern called Print Elect, owned by a man named Owen Andrews, and they actually do all the work in North Carolina for ES&S, who is Owen Andrews. He's a neighbor of former Governor Beverly Perdue. Yeah, I, like there isn't a connection. But a little bit more about ES&S. ES&S operates in all or part of 42 other states. And they're selling these systems. But those 42 states, Rocco, are not even that company's biggest customer base. Their largest customer base is labor unions. They provide all the election equipment software for labor union elections. Now, doesn't that give you a warm fuzzy? Who, uh, who, who bought out the, the die bulb? You know, I don't know. I don't okay. know. But I know I we still use some of the machines, but but they're they're not around. Yeah. So yeah, someone's operating. The the Mark 100 ballot scanner, which is still being sold, uses a 386 processor. The 200 model uses a 486 processor, both of which were replaced in 1995 by the Pentium chip. So when we started buying this gear at top dollar in 2006, it was already a decade-old technology, and we've been using it since 2006, and we've still been buying some of the same equipment. There is no system on the market right now that will work with any operating system newer than Windows 7. They are working on a Windows 10 version, but they will not have it fielded in time for this November's general election. They just don't have the security built into the CPU chip or into the software itself that would help prevent a lot of this alleged hacking and stuff that's going on. But, Doctor, you don't have to hack the system if you're the guy sitting at the terminal that's supposed to be controlling the data, and you're the one fudging it. No, I, I, I realize that. It's, uh, it, it, re yeah. it really is that simple. I mean, when they can't answer simple questions like what are accumulated votes, I mean, something right. seriously, seriously wrong. To me, yeah. I just I, I don't – I just think uh, at the level of the General Assembly, if they, they do, everyone does ultimately what they, what you want to do. Everyone does what they want to do, and I just think right. there should be so much pressure that they would want to make they they would want to solve this and not just hide it. But it seems like from what you're saying, they're just content to hope it goes away. I, I don't know that it's contentment. I think there's an element of fear here that anything they try to do will simply be uh, mushroomed in the press to be, oh, the Republicans are in charge. They're just trying to suppress the vote. 
um, like they always do. Anytime anything about elections comes up, they always get hammered as some form of voter suppression. But the, the clear thing is that all of these irregularities have benefited the Democrats primarily over the last four years in North Carolina. In the 2016 election, if you think about who won at the state level, the only four positions that went to the Democrats or remained with the Democrats were the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state, and the state auditor. All the others went Republican, including the first time ever, you know, um, the commissioner of insurance, Mike Policy. Well, that's when the Democrats retook control of elections in North Carolina because those four positions just happened to be the four that have a statutory or constitutional duty of the conduct of our elections, the certification of the results, or the investigation of voter fraud. So the Democrats have controlled elections in North Carolina since 2016. Right. But if the Republican – you have enough data out there. I mean, it's not speculation – there's clear corruption. Right. You'd think they would want to someone. There'd be somebody who would at least hold a press conference and yeah, introduce a bill, even if if they let it die in committee to just embarrass somebody. But from what you're saying, it hasn't even gotten that far. No, uh, I was actually allowed to review a draft bill by one of the legislators um, that was going to address some of these problems. I made 10 recommendations, five of which they adopted verbatim and included in the next revised draft, but it never got submitted. Um, Again, it fell victim to the budget and the veto overrides and everything else that was going on with the battle back and forth between the legislature and and Governor Cooper. Um, And so I I know I've I've filed. I I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. What you're saying, it's sad. It's sad. I mean, I. I follow Grassroots North Carolina. I'm sure you're familiar with them. And it's a 100% oh, yeah. volunteer organization. And, you know, what Paul Vallone does is very effective. And, you know, yeah, they'll submit a bill, they'll introduce it, and they'll just follow it. And they'll normally go, yeah, they'll pass from committee to committee where, yeah, it may die, but at least they'll get it submitted. And then they could force the issue that they could, you know, basically start pressure. But, I mean, to me, there's just such a lack of integrity here that they can't even submit a bill. Yes. Again, no legislator likes to be asked a question that they don't know the answer to. And all my work simply raises more questions. And I think that is the part that leads them um, reluctant to take it on full board simply because they don't have the answer. I don't yeah. think they want to admit well, are you at liber- your liberty to discuss the names of some of the legislators you've spoken with, or not? Um, I will tell you that I have, when I briefed the House members, uh, the Speaker of the House was in the office at the time. He stayed for about the first forty-five minutes or an hour of that meeting, um, and then he had other business to attend to. But there were, um, I would say, six or eight other key Republicans in the House. Uh, that were there in the room at the time. Um, beyond that, I I say that just to let you know that I've been talking to the highest levels of the legislature. I have not talked to Senator Berger. I have talked to a number of his colleagues and the chairman of the Joint um, Oversight Committee on Elections, which is Senator Warren Daniel, um, among others. So I am talking to the people in a position to actually move some legislation and do something about it. But I it really has taken me this long to show that what I found in 2016 wasn't just a one-time anomaly. I had to show them the 2018 data, then the 2019, and then the 2020 data, the primary that we just held two weeks ago. Um, and I'm finding the same types of issues from election after election, and that's what I think is finally getting their attention now to show that this is an ongoing trend. This is a a, well, a, a five active scheme. That that that's real that that's that's yes yeah, that's, that's very relevant. Could you give some examples of those what you found in the other elections? Well in, in 
just last November 2019, things they do is publish a county status report. It lists the date and time that every county uploads their election data to the state. And there were 92 counties who had municipal elections last November. That county status report only showed the status of 42 out of the 92 counties. For some reason, the data on 50 other counties was never included in that report. Don't know why. I emailed them, I asked them for an answer, and I never got one. And and that's the type of thing that you can't just write off as some poorly trained poll worker. I mean, this is something going on within the IT section at the State Board of Elections that's creating this type of an issue. Well, you'd think, once again, the people in legislature would be somewhat concerned about that, no? Yeah. That's true. Well, I, I moved to Virginia two years ago, and I admit I've not been back in Raleigh. Most of my contacts in the last 18 months with the legislature have been via Facebook, them just seeing the post when I tag them on the post. But to, to let your readers see just how complex this is, the election was held the 6th of November of 28 – no, this is 2018 – 6th November 2018 general election, 6th of November. So 10 days later, that's when they have the canvas. That's when they do the sample hand and eye count. They physically take the ballots out of that tabulation machine and selected precincts. They randomly choose, I think, two precincts per county, and they actually go through each piece of paper and tally up the votes to make sure the totals match. This is also when they vote on the absentee by mail ballots that came in late or the provisional ballots that were cast, and decide whether to count them or not. Well, that night of the 16th, 10 days later, the results numbers were finalized. The problem at that point, though, Rocco, 11 counties still had not made their final upload. Columbus, Johnson, and Randolph County uploaded three days later. Guilford, Hope, and Wilkes County on the 20th, Forsyth on the 21st, Halifax, Mecklenburg, and Montgomery on the 26th, and Robeson the 27th. So it wasn't even until after Thanksgiving that the last county made their final upload. Yet, and with all those 11 counties submitting their data, those vote totals from the night of the 16th never changed by one single vote for any candidate anywhere in the state. Isn't, that says isn't some of this stuff, isn't some this stuff that you discovered, isn't this illegal? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't someone be going to jail? I would think so, <clears throat> but you can't do but, that unless somebody actually demands a, a an investigation. Um, who do you go to? The State Bureau of Investigation? Who controls that? The Attorney General, Josh Stein. Roy Cooper, former AG, now governor, handpicked Josh Stein, and I doubt Josh Stein is going to do anything about it. And, and I'm sure the I, legislature knows that. Maybe that's why they haven't asked for it. I really don't know. But until somebody I, with some computer forensic capability what? can go in and actually look at those terminals and see who was logged on when and was making these data changes, I don't know that we'll ever know. But but when you when you just prove stuff like you just said and and the yeah the accumulated votes, when the, I mean this is indisputable proof that the vote's been tampered with. So. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see I, – I, it just still amazes me. I, and it shouldn't, I guess, live in North Carolina this long, just the level of corruption that both parties are just so complacent. Uh, they, they, they're just so terribly, terribly complacent. The, the, in the future, are we going – is North Carolina going to go back to paper ballots only? Well, by law, they have to go back to paper ballots beginning this year. Uh, so all the okay. counties have gone back to them. Now, by paper ballot, I mean you mark the paper ballot. Not a touch screen, but that paper right. ballot still gets fed into an electronic scanner. The tabulators, right. The, tab- the, the right. tabulators, right. Exactly. Which is like where I, in Wake County where I live, that's still a die-bold machine, okay? So, yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. th- that doesn't comp- – it's a little bit better, but that still doesn't solve it. Well, Amazing. And, and again, the, the timing of when this data is reported says everything. Uh, just to give you an example, in 2018 again, the day after Election Day, there were only 2,716 provisional ballots that had been reported by the counties as having been passed. 
In the 10 days between Election Day and that canvas, that number jumped to 35,777 provisional ballots. That's 33,000 ballots, Rocco, that nobody even knew existed at the time when races were being called and conceded by the candidates in the media. And so I am pushing for them to at least require the counties to report the total number of provisionals because they have to sit down and manually type in the name, the address, the precinct, the um, city, state, zip code, all that kind of stuff for them. And if there's 33,000 ballots in play, who can be assured of anything? And how can that not change the outcome of even one race anywhere in the state? No, you you look at how many were close. I mean – uh, just recent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, prominent elections you'd remember, I'm sure. When Dan Forrest first won, very close, yeah. mm-hmm. very close. When Tom Tillis beat Kay Hagan, extremely close. And in both cases, the Democrats didn't challenge it for whatever reason. Extremely close votes. So, right. obviously, if you're polling and it's close, that makes it more. That makes the corruption much more easy to flip it one way or the other. Now, if before the race, if one candidate's ahead double digits, then it's too suspicious. But in most races, yeah, they say statistical probability of five points or under, very easy to flip this. Right. And that's why, in the clip I played, which you listened to, he said I was hired to flip at fifty-one forty-nine. So again, right. they had to do some polling beforehand that it was going to be rather close. Did you say what? What did you find the most recent election then in in uh, 2020? Um, okay, hang, let me get my. Sure. I, I'm Take sitting on my computer, so I make sure that I'm getting the same thing. No, you um, got a lot. Of, you got a lot of important information. One one of the things that I find there there is a field in the data for the provisional ballots indicating whether or not there was a DMV registration issue. If this person registered to vote at DMV and maybe DMV didn't get it uploaded in time or or there was an error in the data they submitted, I am finding hundreds of these records flagged as having a DMV issue, yet when I pull up that voter's uh, registration, it says they are not a DMV customer. So so how how could that even – that would be so easy to fix in the software that it can't be – a yes in, in one field if it's no in the other. That's easy to link together and solve. Um, you well, know, it, it shows me that a person not, voted. It's not te- Dave, you know, it's not a technical problem. It, it's a moral problem. They don't, they don't want to fix it. Well, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, you know, we, I, we had one person that voted November 1st, 6218, in the year 6218. Now, I know it's a typo. It should have been 11-6-2018, but the system still accepted that date. We got people that requested their absentee ballot 25 years ago, and the system will still take a bad date out of the eligible range. And those are easy fixes, Rocco, and yet the Federal Elections Commission has certified this system. And that's well, the part that I was in mind. So I, I wrote a letter to the White House. And I laid it all out, and I got back a very nice form letter saying, you need to take this up with the local election officials. It's like you didn't even read my letter. They are the problem. Well, this is – I mean, we don't, want, we don't want to federalize the system because that would make a bad problem worse. But exactly, I think yes. When I look at this whole problem uh, yeah, tonight and before, what you're saying, and you, this is my opinion – they do this intentionally because it's a control mechanism because then they want people to think, well, the, the elect, it's really, it's generally, there's some, there's a couple of glitches, but you can trust the system. Yeah, there's some things we've got to fix, but you can trust it. But the reality is, you and I both know, they leave that in there intentionally so they could, it always gives me an excuse to manipulate the vote. Right. Because if it was that right. clear, if you or I or anyone else could just sit down and not even spend tons of hours and just say, okay, Here's all the numbers. It always it's always works. There's no question. So and so won. So and so lost. Here's all the precincts. We know no one dead. No one dead has voted. <laughs> Every, everything's real. 
They don't want that. They always want to cast aspersions because once you have that margin of error, you could just say, uh, yeah, there's a couple things, a couple things we got to fix. It's just a few problems. But the reality is, no, no, no. The big problem is they want to fix elections. Both parties do. So what you've seen is catastrophically embarrassing to both sides because why right. would they ever want why would they ever want a system that was totally honest because then they couldn't continue to cut deals and fix elections. That's the way I see it. Well, and and I, you're right and there's a trend if, if you said you're from Wake County, so you may, you may remember yeah. in 2016 both Gary Pendleton and Marilyn Avila lost their seats in the North Carolina House to a Democrat challenger. They came back in 2018 and took out Nelson Dollar and Chris Malone. And I believe this has all been part of a, a rather lengthy scheme to eventually turn control of the legislature back over to the Democrats. They took control of the election process. It's, it's, it's possible. It, it's possible. I mean, like I said, you, you've gotten – it's possible, but I just say with Malone and Nelson Dollar, those guys should have been Democrats for who they voted. I mean, they were bums. Nelson Dollar <laughs> wanted – he he, he, he is, he, he's a disgrace. He wanted – with Skip Stam, he wanted driver's licenses. They call them permiss-free legal aliens. He was he was horrible. He was horrible. I mean, I'd see him in the general – I'm not exaggerating, Dave. I would see him in the building, and he, he, he'd turn around. He was terrified. And I was nobody. He, he, he just he yeah. wouldn't talk to people. He was horrible. Malone, at least, I mean, he talked to me. But, I mean, you know, the whole thing, the Board of Elections here, the guy is having an indulgence fair with someone else on the board. He lies about it. And then he's charged by her with stealing. Now, granted, you remember the story. He was an observer, sat on that story. Malone still gets reelected. But, I mean, those two guys were scum. <laughs> well, I, I – I did meet Malone once. He sat in on one of my uh, informal briefings, so he was made aware. But I actually had one legislator tell me not to waste their time. They won the election. It was time to move on. And that legislator served only one term because they were beaten by a Democrat in the next election. This is what I mean by this progression, because in 2018, in Mecklenburg County, the three remaining House seats out of the 12 that were held by Republicans all flipped to Democrats. Now, if you look at those numbers, the, the biggest race there that got the media's attention was Bill Brawley's race in District 103 because he was running against former uh, Governor Jim Hunt's granddaughter, Rachel Hunt. Well, in those three races, the Democrats got as many votes from absentee by mail ballots as the other two candidates combined in the other nine districts in Mecklenburg County. I mean, yes, the others were getting 300, 400 apiece, the Republican and the Democrat, and then in these three races, the Democrat gets over 1,000 votes from Madison to by mail. And nobody thinks to look. The judge, Mark Harris, he was the only one they went after the ballot harvest. And they act like that's the only thing where it was happening. Well, I mean, I know what a good out the vote effort is, but I don't think that they could have gotten that many votes by mail doing it the legal way. No, it doesn't so, sound it at all. It doesn't sound it at all. So we've seen that majority, supermajority in the House get shipped away, and now we're coming up for November in 2020, and we can expect to see some other uh, seats flip from Republican to Democrat. It might be part of the plan. I mean, do you remember, do you remember uh, when Roy Cooper – Ran for attorney general last time. Do you remember he ran um, on a post? Do you remember that? Yeah, we, no, he ran on a post. Yeah, right. He ran. He ran on a post. And yours truly, I confronted. Then it was Susan Bryant, was Wake County chair, and uh, right. I said to her on camera, "Hey, Susan, why is Republicans? Why are we letting? Why are we letting Roy Cooper run on a post? And if looks could kill, we wouldn't be having this conversation." Right. In yeah. my opinion. The Republicans let him run unopposed because that was part of the plan. That was part of the plan. He was going to get elected. McCrory got in. Uh, McCrory lost. Cooper gets in. Dan Forrest will be our next governor. And maybe part of the plan is, since the vote is obviously rigged, they'll give us divided government, and then the Democrats will control the General Assembly. But I do think uh, uh, the deal was cut with Dan Forrest to win. That's why Roy Cooper ran unopposed. When Dan Forrest first ran... Uh, he would say, 
a friend of mine asked him, you know, he put together really, if you remember, a very strong Tea Party presence. It was he gave a very strong grassroots impression to his campaign. And the reality is, his mom, you know, was Sue Myrick, who's an established Republican, yeah. established yeah. Republican congressman out of Mecklenburg, and Hal Weatherman, who's his right-hand man, ran her campaigns. But Dan Forrest appeared in the scenes. You know, he went around the state and ran an excellent grassroots campaign. A friend of mine asked him, why aren't you just running for governor? And his response was, it's not my time yet. So I believe Forrest will win. And maybe if what you're saying makes perfect sense, then they're going to let the Democrats run. And they continue to play. They play this game. And uh, the people always lose, seems, no matter who's elected. Right. Um, I am hoping that the publicity that shows like yours gift my work have put those on notice, if anybody is tinkering with the numbers, to stop. Because I'm not so, uh, all of it. If they are, Dave, I think you've proven I, – if I think you've proven they are, <laughs> and no one yeah. cares. They don't care. Right. So, But I, I think it's been enough to put a stop to a lot of it. But in some cases, I see them shifting, and maybe what they were doing with absentee ballots before, they're doing with um, provisional ballots now. Um, and I don't well, – I wouldn't be surprised if they possible. change their tax. But I think it's not going to stop in, 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 until we get election reform, I mean – until we just change the law and hold these people accountable, there should be 100% transparency. I just don't see it changing. Well, somebody's been going in at 1 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, changing provisional ballot data files from elections going all the way back to, like, 2008. There are different files. Some some cases it's the voter history file. Some cases it's the provisional ballot file. But these files are showing up. When you just pull up the screen on the Board of Elections website, it looks like your browser on your computer. It shows the file name, the date last modified. And why would a file from 2008 be modified in 2018 or 2019 or 2020? You know, all of, of course. It, it, this goes back to illegality. I mean, people should be yeah. going to jail over this. Well, if I still have well, a bad Dave, Dave, I, I appreciate your work. Please let me know if you get a bill, if the, you get a bill, if it's written, let me know because I want to popularize that. I want to get the word out so we could get that out of committee. But please, please let me know. Let's we'll, we'll tie into your next segment on the coronavirus stuff that I know is on everybody's mind because right now there's a question about whether the legislature will actually reconvene in April as they're scheduled to for their uh, biannual short session to tweak the budget. And hopefully we can get something done then. Excellent. I, I do appreciate all your efforts, Dave. It's just I, I just can't believe this story hasn't gotten more attention. Well, I appreciate you and T helping get the word out. I really do. Uh, thanks again, Dave. Keep in touch. Good day, Rocco. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. You've listened to KRP Radio Show, Keeping Real with Pudgy Miller. That was guest, special guest Dave Guess, who's exposed... I think extreme levels of bipartisan corruption in the election process. Voting, it's like what George Carlin said, I believe. It was attributed to George Carlin if uh, others had said it, I believe. But uh, if uh, voting really changed anything, if it mattered, they wouldn't let us do it. Uh, That may sound cynical, but you heard the numbers Dave had shared. They're just, the votes manipulated. It's terribly manipulated in North Carolina. You've listened to KRP Radio Show, Keeping Real, Pudgy Miller, guest host, Rock OP. I will be back on the air, Lord willing, Sunday night, this coming Sunday night. Again, that is March 22nd at 8 p.m., Pudgy's old time slot. And I will 